Hello, this is Daniel Gregory, and thank you so much for joining me today for the Perceptive Photographer Podcast. This is episode 435 of our little podcast. I hope you're having a wonderful day. We're going to be talking about three short topics today. We're going to be talking about projects. We're going to be talking about what you do with photographs, and then also tinting black and white images. These are all questions that I've been asked by people who have been listening to the podcast, so I want to make sure we get an answer out to those questions. So that's what we'll be doing today, answering those three topics. Okay, our first topic is all about big projects. And the question was, how do you deal with big projects, big photographic ideas that you have? And the first thing that jumped to my mind is that one of the most important things when we have big ideas is to one, celebrate those big ideas because they're oftentimes really important, things we're interested in, things we're passionate about, and recognize that we sometimes think that photographically we're under this weird time crunch, this weird time pressure that says something has to be done now. I have the idea now and I have to execute it now. And yes, certainly there are projects and ideas that are probably in that vein, but big ideas, big projects sometimes require us to chip away at it. We have to slowly bite off little pieces over time so that we can effectively get the end result that we want. And we can have a project that reflects the learning the education, the growth we had along that process as well. And so starting to recognize that it's the small things we do towards that bigger goal. So breaking things down, chipping away at small pieces, but making sure that we are completing the to total project, that we're not continually repeating the same chip, so to speak. We're not continually reinventing the same wheel. We're going out and exploring and developing and completing a series of tasks that are required to get to the larger project. And the first thing that actually popped into my head when I was asked this question is the amazing photographer Matika Wilbur from up here in the Pacific Northwest has finished and completed a, an amazing project. And we're talking a big project. And it is a stunning book. It is an absolutely gorgeous book. It's one you should absolutely think about having in your photographic collection. But the book is... Project 562, Changing the Way We See Native Americans. And Matika, being one of the local tribes up here from the Tuolip and some Swinomish tribe uh, descent, had decided that she was tired of the way Native culture and the tribes were represented in U.S. culture and recognizing that much of the photographs we had of a lot of the indigenous tribes of the U.S. go back over a century before they've actually been updated. So Matika took on, on the project of photographing all 562 federally recognized U.S. tribes and indigenous cultures. 10 years, 600,000 miles of travel to complete the project. And it is, like I said, a beautiful project. I had the honor of meeting Matika years ago when the project was first getting started. I had hosted and helped uh, work with a TEDx conference, and Matika was one of our speakers early into her project process. So it was really neat to see that come full circle and that project complete. But if you think about going to photograph 562 tribes and funding that, paying for that, organizing the travel, the contacts, the photography, all those different things have to pull together. There's a lot of little elements that ultimately drive that experience of achieving that ultimate goal of that project, of getting that document done, those documentary photographs done of these 562 federally recognized indigenous cultures. That process, that way of seeing, that way of approaching that had to be taken in small pieces. Just the time to travel, the funding, the actual learning how to do the photographs, 
of the different tribes so that you're reflecting their cultures as they would want them to be portrayed as well. So there's a huge process in here of small little things that have to get done within projects. And I think that's why, you know, in thinking about Matika's project, it really struck me on that answer because having seen this very early process early on in that, that journey at that TEDx conference to now seeing the culmination of the book and the completion of that project and knowing the work that Matika put into that, I think really reflects that sometimes we get these big ideas and then we have an expectation of it has to be done sooner than later. And yes, we would all like it to be done sooner than later. But recognizing that sometimes big projects require time, they require effort, they require expenditures, they require all sorts of things that we can't all do at once. I think they also require us to sort of take back and think and reassess and reimagine how we might approach those projects and what is important within those. And I think you'd be surprised if you start taking on little bits of your larger projects, little bits each day or each week, each month, You'd be surprised at how fast you can chip away at that project, how fast you can get through and get things done in what you're attempting to accomplish through your project work. Sometimes we get overwhelmed by thinking about the totality of that project. By, by breaking it down into those smaller chunks, we can be much more successful in continuing our steps forward. We can also recognize that sometimes these bigger projects are things that are big. They're huge. They're ideas that are sort of beyond our own self and that that requires a lot of additional effort and community and cooperation. And so sometimes we have to build relationships to allow that to happen. So there's a lot of things that go into these bigger projects. But again, thinking about them as smaller little things. You know, it wasn't, Matika's project wasn't 562 indigenous cultures in a year. It wasn't in a day. It wasn't slapped together it wasn't in a hurry. It was much different in terms of its approach. And I'm sure if I asked Matika, she would have liked to have had it done, you know, potentially sooner. But I'm sure that she also appreciated the opportunity to have the time there to really engage and tell the stories that she wanted to tell in a meaningful way by having that process take what it did for a project of that scale and that size. Okay, the second question, the second thing that came up is, how would I respond to somebody who asked me, what am I going to do with that photograph? Which I think is an interesting question because it can be a very loaded question. And I think sometimes people are just genuinely interested in like, oh, you took a photograph of something that I wouldn't have photographed. What are you going to do with that? Like what was interesting about that photograph? So it's not necessarily the, what am I going to do with it? But it's what was interesting about that photograph? I think there are sometimes we're asked that question because people want to know like, are we going to sell it? Does it have value in, in the monetary sense? Which is always the ironic one for me because I think a lot of the value of our photographs is not in the monetary assessment. It's in the value on the emotional level, spiritual level, a learning level, a scene level, a way to communicate with others level. There's a lot of ways that I think we can make that photograph much more interesting by having a different conversation about what am I going to do with it? So I think part of the response we have to have as photographers is to push back on that question a little bit, not in a rude way and not in a a pushy sort of way. But when somebody asks, what am I going to do with it? I think asking them, well, what exactly do you mean by that? Like, am I going to try to sell it? Am I appreciating it? Am I giving it away? Trying to help them understand what that question actually means to them. Because I think for some people, it might be like, oh, are you going to sell that? Like, are you trying to make money at it? Because that's the one entry point they have for the conversation. I think other people, like I said, they're confused by why you're photographing something. So 
What would you do with a photograph of a weird bolt on the side of a car? Like, what would that be for? Like, why would you photograph that? Because a lot of what we photograph, remember, is in response to what we see that is unique in the world. And I think that's one of the things, and what am I going to do with it? The pushback on that a little bit is not just what am I going to do with it, but what is it that I saw that was interesting or compelling? It forces us to have language to talk a little bit more about why we photograph what we photograph, but it also sort of flips that question back to helping somebody understand that photography is about seeing. It's about getting to identify with something. It's about getting to understand something. It's about responding to something. It's about being part of something greater than we are, the universe by which we see and respond to things. We understand more by looking at photographs. We communicate more by looking through photographs. So there's a lot of things that could be behind that question. So the question of what are you going to do with it, I think is worth a follow-up question of, you know, what exactly do you mean by what am I going to do with it? Is it, are you asking me exactly what? Because there are so many different things that could happen with the photograph. And a lot of times in photography and photographers, we get caught back on our heels. We get asked a question that we're sort of not prepared for, and then we get flummoxed. And what am I going to do with it? I'll I'll probably just, you know, print it or, you know, nothing or try to give it to my friend. Like we have weird sort of answers because we're, we're uncomfortable with that question. I mean, I think part of that is recognizing that the uncomfortableness comes from, yes, we're not sure sometimes what we're going to do with that photograph. And we also sometimes aren't sure what we're being asked. And I think it's important to ask for that clarification, ask for that clarifying question, which is something we would do in critique. Sometimes you get asked a question in critique that you don't understand. It's important to be like, can you rephrase that? Can you state that a different way? I'm not quite sure what you're asking about the work. It's important to make sure that everybody's actually answering the question that is wanting to be asked, not necessarily a question that was asked. The last question I got was about, do I tint my black and white photographs? And this is a really interesting question because when we look back in the analog world, there was a lot of tinting and toning that could happen. And we could go from a kind of a cool plummy color, a cool steel color and selenium tone. We could go into a warm tone. We could go into sepia toning. There was all sorts of ways we could affect sort of the photograph. And over the years, one of the things that I've recognized is that I do like a slight tinting and toning into my photographs, producing a neutral black and white, a very slight tint into that photograph. And for me, it's usually slightly to the warm side. It's just a little bit towards the yellow reddish brown realm, just a slight, slight bit of warm. So not a sepia print and not what I would consider a traditional necessarily hardcore warm tone print, but I definitely like a little bit of warmth into that print. and. In terms of answering that question, I think one of the things that's important is for us to recognize sometimes that when we're working with our images, that we have a bias, a a tendency for wanting something a certain way, something that we respond to and like. And there's a distinction between what we like to do in our own work and how we should critically evaluate and perceive other people's work. Somebody else may like the cooler toning of a gold toner or a selenium tone, and you may prefer a warm tone. Well, that's in your own work. You should still be able to try to remain objective about the evaluation of somebody else's work and not just be like, oh, it'd be better if it was warm toned. No, it'd be better if it was your image in warm tone. So there's a distinction there. But in that world of sort of figuring out in your own aesthetic, I think printing out an image where you slowly introduce different color tints into a black and white image is important for you to understand sort of what is your natural aesthetic? Where are you happiest with how your images look? Because a lot of times we end up just sort of taking what default comes out of our process. We process an image into black and white. This is sort of what it looks like. 
This is what it is, but it never sort of feels quite right. And then we sort of put it aside and we go to work on something else. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. And I think a lot of that comes from what is the, the color in the black and white image. And the analog color world had an insane amount of color in it. And so we've seen black and white analog photographs. We've seen a lot of black and white digital photographs that have that nuance of tint into them. And it's important, I think, to make that assessment. So do I tint my black and white images? Absolutely. And have I spent a lot of time printing things in, in ways that I don't necessarily like sometimes in an effort to understand that tinting process? Absolutely. And I think that's just part of that process of learning is identifying sort of what that aesthetic is. So like I said, in my world, I sort of gravitate towards just a hint of warmth a lot of times, or maybe I'll warm it up a little more for this particular image or cool it down for a particular image. I'm not saying every image has to be set that way, but oftentimes I do introduce just a slight bit of, of, of tint into there. And I think that's just, again, about the expression and of emotion that I'm trying to communicate into that photograph. So those are sort of our three topics that I wanted to hit on today from people who would ask some questions about Sort of chipping away at bid projects and again looking at Matika Wilbur's project. If you have not, check out Project 526 or 562. An absolutely amazing uh, project. And if I said 526 earlier, it's just dyslexia hitting in. It's 562. Uh, but check out that book if you get the opportunity. Absolutely amazing. Looking at what we're going to do with that, what are you going to do with it question and pushing back on that and rephrasing that question to try to make it a little bit more useful. And then finally looking at tanning images. So that's what we took a look at today. Thanks again for joining me for the podcast. I really do appreciate you spending a little bit of time out of your day or week or month to listen to the podcast. And again, if there's anything specific you want to hear on the podcast, shoot me an email, drop me a line, and I'll be happy to go on ahead and make sure we get that included into a future episode. Thanks again for listening and have a wonderful day.